Open up your Bibles, if you would, to John 16. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Daryl, good to see you guys, man. Good to have you. John 16. And so, um, if you're, uh, there's a, the New Testament starts with Matthew, and there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John was a follower of Jesus. He had, uh, he had written this eyewitness account. A lot of uh, biblical historians believe that he started following Jesus when, in his teens, like 17, 18, 19, somewhere around in there, and that he lived to be into his 90s is what we think. He was the only one that wasn't martyred. They tried to martyr him, but they, they weren't able to. And so he wrote this eyewitness account. And uh, as we look at this, you know, we've been talking about voices. And, and what I mean by voices is we, how do we hear God's voice? What is it that he's saying to us? And so the first few weeks, you talked about things that are distractions. You know, sometimes fear is a distraction. Sometimes our past, the things that we've done, the things that have been done to us, or our pedigree, you know, the circumstances of the family that we were born into, that those things can get in the way and be a distraction from what God is saying to us. The things that have happened to us can be a distraction from all of that, our wounds, our pain, our decisions. And then, you know, we talked about, you know, different things like that. And then last week, we started talking about the things that, the ways that God speaks to us. And the way that he speaks to us primarily, number one, is through his word, through scripture. It's an uncommon book that we have to look at in an uncommon way. It's not like every other book. Matter of fact, it's not like any other book. And so it's uncommon, and it's God's breath is upon it, which is what makes it alive. And so it's inspired by him, breathed on by him. And so he leads us that way. It's, it's the primary way that he leads us. But there's another way that we, that we position ourselves, that we begin to hear God's voice, and it's through prayer. So in John 16, verse 12, Jesus is talking, and this is what Jesus said. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. Now, I think it's interesting. We could take a lesson from Jesus in this, and that there were times where there were things that he knew that he didn't share because the people that were listening weren't in position, either from a spiritual standpoint or a maturity standpoint, or for whatever reason, they weren't in position to hear it. You know, sometimes we have to be aware of who we're talking to. You know, sometimes like, well, you could have shared this, you could have shared that. I could have done all those things, but this is who I was talking to. This was the group. So we, we have to understand that. But then he goes on to say in that, he said, you can't bear it now. He said, when the spirit of truth comes. Now, the spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus had told them earlier, he said, look, it's good for you. This is so wild that he would say this to me. It's good for you that I go away. Now, he was talking to people that had walked away from everything they knew, everything they knew. They, for three years, they had followed him and walked away from all of that. And he told them, he said, look, it's good for you that I go away because if I, if I go away, then the Holy Spirit will come. And he said, you know, that, that you know, he'll, he'll convict the world of their need for me and that he'll judge the, the prince of this world and, and he'll talk of righteousness. So he'll come and so... When we give our lives to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of us. And so he's there, and this is what Jesus said that he would do. He said, he will, it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. Everybody say, guide me. Guide. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. So Jesus is talking to his followers, not just those people that were with him then, but he's talking to us now that if you're a Jesus follower, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, given your life to him, received what he's done, then you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And this is what Jesus said that he would do, that, that first of all, he'll guide you into truth, into reality, into what's right. 
and that he'll speak what the Lord gives him to speak to us, and he'll show us things to come. He'll talk to us about our future. Matter of fact, that's what it says here. He'll tell you about the future of your life, of what's next, of what's going on. You know, I think a lot of times, I know in my own life, that, that the thing that happens is that prayer can become this, you know, just this religious activity instead of a place of expectation. I just pray because that's what Christians do. I, we just pray over them, you know, because that, that's what we do, you know. We just, we pray, you know, we, it's, just, it's just what we do. Instead of having this expectation that I am in this, that I have this relationship with God and he genuinely speaks to me and he, he, the Holy Spirit is revealing things to me. So it's one of the ways that God leads us. Now, if you're kind of new to this, and even if you're not new to this, this can feel a little mysterious. Like, okay, but what, is, what does that look like? How do I know when that's taking place? How do I know that the Holy Spirit is leading me? Or, does, or am, I, am I the exception? Does he not lead me? No, I, again, I believe that if you've given your life to Jesus, you say, well, Pastor Rick, I'm not perfect. Yeah, we're in the same club. Me neither. It's the grace of God, right? I mean, so, so I, I know this, that yeah, he is leading you. And, and, and let, me, let me tell you how that, what that's looked like in my own world. And, and sometimes it's been, you know, over major issues, spectacular issues, and sometimes just been on kind of everyday things. But sometimes one of the ways that he does is what I, thought, what I call God thoughts. And God thoughts are those things that, that he does in us and through us that, you know, just kind of these thoughts that come along that I wasn't thinking. I'll give you an example that, you know, before we came here, I, I, I was in, we lived in New Mexico. I worked for a great church there, had uh, great bosses, great pastors, and that kind of thing. And I remember when I first started out that one of the, one of the things that I, I didn't do well is I didn't delegate well. And I remember we'd go into staff meeting, we'd be talking about things, and, and they would encourage me. They'd say, look, man, you need, you need you know, and they were kind of, you need, to, you need to delegate more. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, I, I need to do that. But I, my, the two reasons why I didn't delegate more, one is, is that I knew that if I did it, it would be exactly like I wanted it to be, right? And then the second reason is because to delegate, you have to be organized, and it was just easier for me to not be organized and do it at last minute. Is that okay? I mean, we're in church. I know we're not used to telling the truth, but I thought I would kind of like break habit here. So is that all right if I say that? So, so finally, I'm like, you know, you know, they're trying to help me grow, and I'm like, okay. So, so we're doing the spaghetti dinner for the students and, uh, and so I asked these different people to be a part and I, there was this, there were these two ladies, they were just wonderful ladies, but I said to them, they, you know, I asked, you know, at different times, Hey, would you, we need like iced tea for this dinner where it's a fundraiser for the students. Will you bring some iced tea? And she said, yeah, I got it. And I asked another lady, Hey, will you do this? And the challenge, that was great. But the challenge is, is that both of these ladies had the same, uh, trait. And that is they were you know, just unrealistically late. I mean, I, I can be late, but they made me look like I was the most punctual guy in the world. I mean, they were horribly late. And so, um, and so I didn't think that through. And I remember that we show up to this place and the spaghetti's in place, the salad's in place, the garlic bread's in place. Don't start thinking about lunch. It's saying here with me, okay, I'm making a point. It's not what you should, you should have Italian for lunch. But so the iced tea wasn't there. And so, but after about 15 minutes after the, the dinner starts, almost like they'd come together, but they didn't, these two ladies show up with these big got coolers with iced tea in them, sloshing it everywhere, and they get it set up, and, and we feed it. But in my mind, it was still a remarkable event. We'd had a great event and that kind of thing. So I remember our staff meetings were on Tuesday, and, 
And um, I'll just reveal this to you right now that, uh, and this has not changed. I, I, I appreciate verbal affirmation. And so I thought surely that the best spaghetti fundraiser dinner that had ever been put on in the history of humanity was going to be acknowledged that day. And so as we get to the end of the meeting and nothing had been said, I was a bit surprised. And I thought it's probably a bit uncomfortable for them to bring this up in the rest of the staff. I'm going to do them a public service and bring it up myself. You're like, you're that shallow. You have no idea. So, but here's the thing is that, um, so I, you know, I said, well, hey, what do you think about the spaghetti dinner? And I, I really didn't really want to really know what they thought about the spaghetti dinner. What I wanted to hear was how great, what a great job you've done. We hope that you don't make a living out of doing spaghetti dinners for the rest of your life now. But the room got really quiet. People kind of positioned themselves or a little throat clearing and stuff like that. And I thought, they must really be looking for the right words to say about the spaghetti dinner. And finally, it was like, and there were several things that they liked about it. They like, oh, this was good, this was good. But they said, you know, you got, you got the same people, people of the same temperament bringing an item that was necessary. You know, in other words, that if you're going to do that, it's okay to get them involved, but don't have two people that have the same problem bringing the tea because we sit there without anything to drink. And I know to you, this doesn't sound like a big deal, but in my insecure place in my world at that time, it was incredibly big. And so if you've ever watched The Office, sometimes Michael Scott kind of gets this look on his face where he's like, well, that was me, all right? I was, I was writing it down, acting like I was really engaged in what they were saying, but in my mind, I was yelling at them. That's because you told me to delegate. If I hadn't delegated, the tea wouldn't have been late. I would have had it there on time, you know? And so have you ever had those make-believe conversations up here in your head? You know, where you're like, you're telling everybody off, and then you walk out the door, and you slam the door, and they're kind of sitting there, and the next thing, they're apologizing. They were so short-sighted. Well, that didn't happen. And so, <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, you know, thank you. I'll take that into consideration. Well, then I go to my office, man. I'm just, I'm so mad. I'm like, I worked hard. That was the best spaghetti. I can't believe they'd be so critical. You know, who asked them anyway? Well, I did, but, you know, that's irrelevant. And so... You know, the reason why it was that way is because I delegated. This is why I don't delegate. And I'm like, you know, if I, I'm, I'm going to send out my resume. Now, nobody wants me, but I'm still going to send out my resume, you know, and just and all of these things. And in the middle of my immaturity, in the middle of my temper tantrum, in the middle of my pouting and stuff like that, and just making a way bigger deal out of this emotionally than what it was in reality, I have this thought. What are they supposed to do? They're trying to make it about the people that you're serving, and you're trying to make it about yourself. What are they supposed to do? And you know, it's one of those moments where you're like, Lord, I really wish you would just leave me alone right now. I'm kind of feeling sorry for myself. But I knew it was a God thought. It wasn't what I was instinctively doing. Man, I was in the middle of having, you know, just this tirade, this temper tantrum in my office. And he spoke that to me. It was a, just this thought that came that I knew it wasn't me. And I will guarantee that if you thought long enough, you would have those moments in your life as well where you've had those thoughts come up that were completely sideways from where you were at that moment. And it was a God thought. It was, it was the Holy Spirit revealing something to you, growing you. Well, I remember it changed my direction. And I believe, I'm like, okay, well, Lord, what's the best way to handle this? And he gave me three questions. He said, when you go in there, ask this question, what did we do that we shouldn't have done? Or so what, what do we need, if we do this again next year, what do we need to stop doing? What is it that we didn't do 
that we should have done. In other words, there's something we didn't do. We need to start doing this. And what did we do that you liked? What do we need to continue doing? And it was amazing that in that moment of just insecurity in my own life, immaturity in my own life, that this God thought shows up. And just to recognize it took me down a completely different path, a different way. But it was, it was the Holy Spirit revealing things to me. So we start talking about the Holy Spirit again. It kind of feels mysterious and sometimes can almost feel spooky. And yet the truth of the matter is that often it's so practical and so common that we don't view it as supernatural, and yet it is. Because when you think about the Holy Spirit, we're expecting, you know, that you know, this huge thing to take place when, when often it's just, just this nudge, just this knowing on the inside. I know there have been other times in my life when major moves are getting ready to happen, that I'm in a season of transition, that all of a sudden my desire begins to change. This thing that I love doing at one point, it's, it's you know, there's just, my heart's kind of disconnected from it. And I don't want to be disconnected from it. And so sometimes that can result in me being frustrated where I am. And, you know, and I have to step back and go, there's nothing wrong here. It's nothing wrong with them. It's, it's me. And not there's even anything wrong with me. There's just this dissatisfaction that I'm supposed to, again, it's the Holy Spirit showing me things about my future that, that my season is coming to a close. And so just all of those things that, that, that I understand that, that we, have to, we have to get in Acts 13, it says that some people were worshiping Lord and fasting. It says that the Holy Spirit said to them, he, he spoke to them, he gave them, I don't think they heard an audible voice. Maybe they did, but I doubt if that was the case. It was just, just a knowing, just a recognition. I wrote this down that, that we should have an expectation when we pray that God will reveal things to us. That's really the difference between a religious prayer or one of the differences between a religious prayer and a relational prayer. Religious praying is checking off the box. I've had my, I've had my you know, fruit smoothie. I went to the gym. I've said my prayer. Now it's time to go to work. But relational praying is going in with a genuine understanding of who you're talking to and what their character is like and what it is they want to do through you and in you in this moment. Now, I'll tell you, sometimes I get in a hurry, I get in a season where I'm just kind of praying because that's what you're supposed to do. And there's other times I stop myself and go, no, 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 I'm going to enter into God's presence and, and I'm going to genuinely talk to him and know that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of me to show me things to come, to, to reveal things to me, to, to correct me if need be. That there's something about that. And so number one, if you're taking notes, is this, that God guides us and speaks to us. Now, when I say that, it's easy for us to snort our head away. I know, no, no, no. I, I want that to impact the way that we pray. I want it to impact the way we think when we enter into prayer. That I'm praying to God and he genuinely wants to lead me and guide me. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of me to lead me and guide me. And to reveal to me, to show me things to come. So God guides us and speaks to us. Look at number two, if you would. Go with me, if you would, to Luke 6. You're in John. Luke is the book before six. I mean, before John. And so Luke six, Luke was, he was a physician. He had all these eyewitness accounts. He was only the non-Jewish person that wrote one of the four gospels. And so he had, uh, he'd written this in Luke chapter six. Jesus had just healed a guy whose hand had been drawn up, had been withered. And a lot of the religious people were telling him, you can't do that on a Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. And Jesus, he wasn't moved by their 
short-sightedness, he healed the guy. And so it says in verse 12, one day soon afterward, in other words, after this event had taken place, uh, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. Everybody say all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. And so we have this moment of Jesus in this particular moment, he goes apart and he prays all night. Now, let me just say this. We, we know that he did this kind of praying on more than one occasion, but I'm going to say something, and I'm okay if you disagree with me, but I think you're wrong. And so, um, just, you know, I'm just being real. Um, I, I think that the, him going apart and praying all night, I don't think that was common for him. I think he prayed a lot, but I don't think most of his praying was this. I think this was exceptional. You say, what do you mean? I, I, I think he was, he, was a, he was having conversations with the Father regularly. And, you know, prayer, again, it's not a religious experience. It's a relational thing. And so I think there were ongoing things. There was a guy that lived in the early to mid-1900s. His name was Smith Wigglesworth. And he just had some great revivals and things like that take place. And somebody asked him one time about praying. And he said this. And I thought it was just such a powerful thing. He said, he said, I hardly ever pray more than 30 minutes, but he said, I hardly ever go more than 30 minutes without praying. And so he's just in this conversation. You know, I, I met with some guys yesterday, and we were just talking, and a couple of guys said that their drives to work in Tulsa, you know, they're, they're lengthy drives, they're 25 or 30 minute drives, and they use that time a lot of times just to talk to God. They're, they're better than me because I would use that time to talk to the person in front of me. But here's the thing. Is that, you know, so they're having these conversations with him. And I'm pretty confident that even though they were praying that their eyes weren't closed. Lord, please don't let their eyes be closed when they're driving in Tulsa. But anyway, I'm pretty confident that wasn't the case. And, and I would bet you if we could hear it, there weren't a lot of these and thous in it. It was a conversation. It was, it was talking to God. That's what prayer is. It's this conversation. It's, it's us having this conversation with him about what's going on in our world, about what's taking place. You know, my marriage is kind of the same way that Tina, throughout the day, that will engage in conversation. And it's not always, you know, it's not always really serious, you know, life-changing, earth-shattering things. It's just conversing. And our prayer life can be that way. You know, Lord, thank you, man. There are times I walk through here and I'm just, I'm just grateful for how good he is. I mean, it's like, it just reminds me of how little I have to do with what goes on here. It's, it's his plan. It's his purpose. It's his presence. You're his people. It's his stuff. And so just those moments. Now, having said that, there are seasons where there's something going on in our world that requires to set aside some time. There's, there's those moments, and there's not a lot of them. I can probably think of four or five times in my life where I've had a season like that where it was kind of unusual or unique, where I'm setting aside kind of different time. I've, you know, I've shared with you before that when I was working at this ministry, uh, this large ministry, and I had a desire to go into student ministry and really didn't know how it was going to happen, on my lunch hour, I would go into this room and just every day at lunch, I'd take my sandwich in there, eat my sandwich real quick, and then I would just open up my Bible and set it on the floor, and just Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. There were so many questions I had unanswered. Lord, how's this going to happen? Who's going to see me? Who would offer me a job? You know, I've been overlooked in so many ways. Who's going to notice me or anything like that? And just all of those questions. But I kept praying that, that prayer, that scripture over and over again, genuinely seeking God. 
And, and then, there, you know, when we were, you know, before we came here, there was, there was time that I was in a place where I was in such a good place. You know, worked in a good place, worked for good people. Just, it was just a, it, I was just in a good place. But there was this, just kind of this unsettledness in me that, you know, it just didn't make any sense because I was in a good place. But to come back here, and so I set aside time. Last year was one of those moments. It was just really unique for me. That there was a season as, as we were finishing up the remodeling and, and, you know, coming in here and the church was kind of going to, to a different level. The word for this year for us is transition. And it's, you know, we're transitioning as a church and different parts of our lives are transitioning. And there was just this time, I, any free time I, I had, I felt called away. I felt drawn away. Setting aside, you know, my normal stuff and just in extended times in prayer. And the truth of the matter is, is that what I discover is, is that when we pray, listen to this, when we pray, we position ourselves to hear from God. We, now, he's constantly speaking to us. It's not like, you know, it's not like he is, you know, well, if you're not going to talk to me, I'm not going to talk to you. He doesn't give us the silent treatment. But praying, setting aside that time, turning off some other things, having those seasons or those moments, positions us to hear him. Now, for me, and I, I believe this is, I, I think this is probably common. Not every season is a set-aside season. But every day, there's time to pray. And so, we do that. And so, you know, you have this right here. One of my favorite accounts was uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 30. You don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. David wasn't recognized as king yet, but he, and, he had these men around him, and they were in this one town called Ziklag, and they, they went out and did a military campaign, and when they came back, their town was burned down, and all their wives and kids had been, and their stuff had been taken. And so we'll pick up in verse 6, it says this, David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. So these guys that had followed him, kind of sworn their allegiance to him, now all of a sudden they're mad at him because they come back and their families are gone and their stuff is gone. And a lot of times we get in that situation, we're looking for somebody to blame and it's like, yeah, it's his fault. The guy that just the day before we went into battle with, we blame him and you know what? If he wasn't around, we wouldn't be in this situation. Maybe we need to get rid of him. And you think about this hard place that they were in and their first response was to blame somebody. And the truth of the matter is that, that I've been guilty of that. But it says this about David. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. But David, in other words, he didn't do that. He could have blamed God. God, the only reason why I'm in this wilderness is because you haven't taken care of Saul. But David found strength in, his, in the Lord his God when he said to Abiathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it and David asked the Lord. David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him. And the Lord told him. Yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. And so I think about this in our lives. That when we're going through a hard place that I, that I, could, I could complain. And I have before. It doesn't mean that God's not speaking to me in that season of where I'm complaining but I've just discovered this in my own world. It makes it really hard for me to clearly hear his voice. It makes it really hard for me to clearly get what he's saying. I, I, I could complain. I, I could worry. And I've done that too. I could worry about 
What's going to be next? What's going to happen next? And again, it, it makes it really hard sometimes. It, that voice of worry is so loud that it's hard to hear his voice. I, I, I could be mad at somebody else. I, I could do what these guys did. They, they blamed him. And, and I could do that. And again, you know, and maybe they are to blame. Maybe it is their fault. Maybe what I'm thinking is true, but the truth of the matter is, is that, again, it, it's almost like a radio station that has static, and I can't clearly hear the signal that I want to hear. I could give up. I, I, could, just, I could just quit. I, I could turn, you know, from God. I, I do all of those things, or I could do what he did, and I, I could choose to pray. I still have those temptations, those those things that are kind of weighing in on me, that want me to be mad, want me to blame, want me to worry, want me to give up, want me to, you know, to just, all of those things. That pressure is still there. But there's just something about when I make that decision to kind of just, almost kind of like by faith, then as an act of trusting God, I step into that place and I begin to seek him. That it's, it's like all of a sudden he's been talking to me, but now, it's not like he begins to talk to me. He's been talking to me, but now I've positioned my heart, I've positioned myself to hear from him. I, I tell you, I, I haven't always, I don't always choose to pray. Man, it just, it impacts my world. It impacts the way I see my future, the way I feel about my past. It impacts the people that are in my circle. It impacts what I believe God's plan for me is. But there's something about just making that decision in those seasons to step into his presence. And now I've positioned my heart not to let fear, not to let worry, not to let anxiety, not to let anger, not to let disappointment be my compass, but to let God's voice make a clear picture of what he has for me in my future. My heart's positioned to hear what he has to say. I could choose to pray. David chose to pray that day. You know, I mean, I think all these men were there and yet only one of them heard from God. And somebody could say, well, he was the king. Well, him leading God was, it was important because he was the king, but God didn't just speak to kings, man. He spoke to farmers. He spoke to mothers. He spoke to dads. He spoke to, you know, people in different positions. So it wasn't about position or title, I believe. It was because of all that group, everybody else had made a decision to blame somebody. And again, David could have said, no, 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 it's not my fault. It's God's. But in that moment, instead of him doing that, he asked the Lord. Such a powerful thing. Jesus had just had this battle with these religious people trying not to get him to heal this guy with his withered hand. And it could have caused him to draw back and say, man, there's just too much pressure, too much criticism. But he doubled down. He went and prayed all night long and got up the, the next day and he called these 12 guys to him and, and said, we're going to expand this mission. We're not pulling back. We're going forward. It's going to be bigger than ever. It's because he prayed. I don't know this is so basic to our walk, right? I mean, we... You know, if, if you'd have known this morning that we were going to be talking about prayer, you might have thought, man, eh, let's just stay home. But even though it's basic, it's, it's so critical to our mission. It's so necessary 
to our walk, to our relationship. It's not a small thing. So I have to be reminded of it. And I think we're probably just like, I, I probably, you need to be reminded, we need to be reminded of it, of how significant it is. So number two is this, the prayer position is here from God. Let's go to number three and we'll close with this. Luke chapter 11. I love this. You know, verse one says this. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. You know, all the thing about Jesus praying I wonder what that was like. So he was in a place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, I don't believe that all 12 of those guys had a religious background, but some of them did because part of the Jewish culture was that you learned what your beliefs were and that type of thing. And so I don't think that they had never prayed before. It wasn't like, what's this prayer thing you're doing? I don't think that was it. I think it was like, hey, teach us to pray. In other words, I think that what they were saying was, teach us to pray like you pray. Your prayers aren't religious. They're not just out of responsibility or duty. Your prayers, there's something about them that things happen. You get direction. You, you kind of know what's next. It moves you forward. And all. So teach us to pray like you do. And so then he said this. So it says, uh, the next verse says, So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, many of you recognize this as the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may not, and that's okay, but if you ever hear the term, the Lord's Prayer, this is a prayer that they're referencing. And again, I know, you know, our, our stories are different. And I was actually, I, uh, having been raised in church, this was a, that did liturgy. Like, you know, there's a lot of times there'd be things you'd read from a book that sometimes this would be one of the things that we would say in church, and I was familiar to it. Quite honestly, my, my dad, when I, was, when I was just a kid, it was a way every night when I would go to bed, he would pray the Lord's Prayer with me. He would come in, and this would be the prayer that we would pray. And I knew, you know, and again, it was, I knew it was, you know, the Lord's Prayer. I knew it was something that Jesus had prayed. But it, it was just something that we did. I, I really never, for the longest time, I didn't look at the words and what they were saying and the significance of them. And then I began to hear somebody teach on this one day, and I'm like, man, there's a lot of stuff here to unpack. That there's so many things that Jesus reveals about prayer in this prayer, and I won't get into all of them, but, but you can look at our devotions. We talk about that some in our devotions uh, this week. But, um, but the very first two words, he says, our Father. Our Father. Isn't it interesting that he didn't say my Father? your father. It, it, was a, it was a plural thing. It was, I think, a reminder that we're not in this alone. That as Christians, as people that have given our lives to Jesus and recognize who he is, that there's this community that's different in so many ways, but, but we're gathered around this, the recognition of who Jesus is, not just universally, but who he is to me, which is the most important thing, which is the determining thing. Which says our means relationship, that we're in this together. And then father. Which is not a religious term. He didn't say our God. Our father. Which is relational, not just with each other now, but relational with him. Our father. And again, I think he paints a picture for us that, that we have to embrace 
regularly for, for prayer not to be this wearisome, dutiesome responsibility, but it's this relationship that we lean in that's this conversation that happens regularly. It's not always serious. It's not always deep. Sometimes it's like, Lord, did you see that? I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things. It's just this relationship that takes place. The word father is a relational term where he speaks to us and we speak to him. And so prayer doesn't begin from a religious obligation. It begins from a place of relationship, opportunity, where we step in and we lean in and we begin to talk to him and we realize that we're not in this alone, but there, there's this community that's around us, that's in it with us together. This family, and he's our father. And we pray from that relational aspect. And so in those moments, he speaks to us because he's our father in God thoughts, in relational thoughts, in nudges. Because he wants us to know what's best for us. I remember when my kids were younger, that we would correct them. And, and actually, we used a you know, little paddle and give them three swats or whatever. And we actually had a paddle that was larger, and our oldest son hit it one time. And then I think one of the boys hit it. And then the other one told me where it was, thinking that would buy him complete immunity and a pardon. And it didn't. <laughs> but one of the things I would ask him is, do you, do you know why you're in trouble? Do you know why I'm correcting you? It was because I wanted to make sure that they'd been communicated. I didn't want to be that dad that got on to them and they had no idea what was going on. They had no idea why we're in this moment. And then some people have a picture of God being that person. But he's a good father. So he wants to give us direction. and He wants us to engage. He wants to reveal things to us. And so prayer at its core, prayer begins with relationship. It begins with not talking to the universe, good grief. But it's talking with this individual, this personhood that he's God, but he's our father. And as we pray and as we study the word, we begin to know what he's like and who he is and who I am to him. Just like I know what my wife is like, what my kids are like, what my friends are like, and who I am to them. Because I talk to them. And the same thing's true with our Father. Prayer begins with relationship. I want you to, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And I want us to spend a moment with God. And, and in this moment, I genuinely want you relationally, just there in that secret place, to just engage with the Father. To just engage with Him. To just connect with Him in this moment. And, and maybe just remind yourself that this is not a religious obligation that I'm doing. I'm talking to somebody that loves me. Who wants to talk to me about my future. Who wants to talk to me about my past. And about my circumstances that I'm in currently. He's not indifferent to that. And sometimes we want, we want Jesus to be just this magician where he just kind of waves his hand and everything goes away. As opposed to leaning in and genuinely seeking direction from him. As to what it is I do, how I navigate my way through this. 
Let's just spend a moment with God.